Hey, it is uh, really exciting uh, to have you here this morning, and, and you're in for a really special treat um, because I get it's my privilege to be able to introduce to you uh, Tim and Alicia Stewart, um, who are ministers uh, and missionaries um, in Nairobi, Kenya, uh, with Missions of Hope International. Um, this is a mission that we have had the privilege of partnering with uh, all of South Point's existence for the last almost 11 years. Um, we've been able to partner with them, and it found out this morning as I was talking to Tim and Alicia, it was, they went on the mission field with Missions of Hope the same year that South Point launched, and so we've been partners with them from their beginning and our beginning, so it kind of meshes together. We've taken uh, trips in the past in Nairobi, Kenya. We've sponsored kids uh, through Missions of Hope and just had this really incredible partnership and just really been blessed by the relationship and by the stories of what God has been doing uh, through the ministry that Tim and Alicia have been a part of. And so they are going to share um, with that, but also in the context of our Acts study. Um, we've been going through the book of Acts, and so I'm really, really excited to be able to welcome and introduce Tim and Alicia Stewart this morning. Good morning. It is great to be back with you and to worship with you this morning. Uh, as we were telling Jamie earlier as well, Last time we worshiped with you was in 2018, so before all the COVID and the world kind of changed, and um, also before South Point was in this facility, and so we were at the movie theater last time. So it's been great this morning to, to see the facility God has blessed you with, and uh, just echo what Jamie said about uh, the partnership and uh, we have felt loved and supported greatly by you and just want to take this opportunity to say thank you. Um, we do want to join you in the book of Acts and, and continue that as uh, South Point has been going through the book of Acts this year. And so we're excited to join alongside and see what God has to say to us today in the book of Acts. I'm going to read from Acts chapter 17 starting in verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as an unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, 
that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The time of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysus, the Arapagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Let's pray this morning as we get started. Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to hear from your word, to hear uh, from you, uh, to listen. Uh, we ask that you send your Holy Spirit to open our minds and our hearts, that you will speak to us this morning. We thank you for Jesus, and we trust, uh, we trust all this, this time, uh, into the hands of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. So this, this scripture, uh, there's a lot going on, um, and it starts with verse 16, and the NIV says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Uh, he was waiting for them in Athens, he had transitioned, he was waiting for a couple of others to come and join him. And as he's walking around the city of Athens, his spirit is saddened, it's distressed, it's overcome, overwhelmed uh, by all the idols that he sees in Athens. And I don't know if you know much about Athens, but Athens was a, a place in history that was known for philosophy, for ideas, and, and coming up with all these Greek gods and these different ideas of how to worship what we were created for, and who's going to worship this or that, and the discussion and the debates that took place in Athens just went on and on for centuries. It was kind of the intellectual home, just the idea where all these thoughts and all these ideas have been bantered. And uh, not long ago, Alicia and I walked the city street of Ephesus in Asia Minor, and we're walking along the street, and we just see along the road these different idols, these different images of people that were important, or these different gods, and, and just uh, imagine being in a Athens at the, at the same time, or around then, and you just see these columns, and these gods, and um, just, they're ornate, uh, they're crazy ornate, and big, and, and they wanted them to look like deity, and Paul is gone to Athens and he's walking the streets and his spirit just gets saddened, just becomes overwhelmed at the people and the gods that they're worshiping. And, and as we've been looking at Acts throughout the year, we've seen how the Holy Spirit's been poured out on the church and the church is going and the church is moving 
and God is doing amazing things. He's, he's changing people's lives. The people are wrestling with Judaism, Judaism and into how, what's Jesus and how does he fit into that? And do we go to the Gentiles or do we not go to the Gentiles? And how does circumcision or not? And all these kind of different issues that are taking place and, and how Jesus impacted and was impacting the life of the church and establishing the church. And Paul walks into this area and is just overwhelmed. And for us, uh, like Jamie said, we live in Nairobi, Kenya, and part of our job is missions of hope exist ex essentially to bring the good news of Jesus, to proclaim the good news of Jesus to the poorest of the poor. And we do that primarily through schools, through education, in the slums of Nairobi, and we've moved out into some different village environments. Um, and in the, the villages, in the slums, Kenya has, is full of idolatry. There's all kinds of different idolatry. And it, it looks a little different than what we would imagine here in the States. We have a, a picture of some kids. This is one of our villages that we're working in in a place called Bura. Uh, it's a heavily Muslim community. But when we went to that community the first time, we drove up there and we're going to, to see there's an organization that had the school started, but they weren't, uh, the school wasn't very successful. And so we, we went to see as Missions of Hope if we were a good fit to take the school on, if it was a good community uh, for us to be partnering with and working with. And we were going on the way, and I remember asking one of our Kenyan staff, I said, did we check with the community, make sure every, people are going to be there that we can talk to and learn about? And he's like, no, but it's the village. People are just in the village doing whatever. Uh, we shouldn't have any problems. And we showed up that day, and there was no one. They were all out. And we walked around, waited for about a half hour where the school building was, and nobody came, just the security guard was sitting there. And talking to the security guard, we found out that uh, somebody had seen a cloud formation and that the gods had said he, they were, that it was time to worship. And so uh, they had to go out and get prepared for this worship. And so there was this idol, this idolatry, this um, seeing something and creating something and going to worship it. Another school... Uh, in the Turkana area, we have so many schools, but one of the schools we just started in the last couple of years, year and a half, is way out in a remote area. And we went there, and it's depressed. Like, it's really a harsh environment. And we show up, and we're excited um, to, to talk about doing a school. And the community is so-so, and, and they warm up a little bit. And we, we continue to pray. We, uh, the team that went to scout that one went and prayed and was feeling like God was saying, yes, uh, we should go move into that community. And we went back, and um, six months later, we started the school, and we were going, and we were talking, uh, Alicia was talking to one of the drivers, uh, was taking her out to the school about three hours from where you fly into. And he said, God must really be on your side because those people are known to be witch doctors. They have the highest concentration of witch doctors in that 
county, and no organization has been able to succeed there because they have driven them off. And so there's idolatry, there's witchcraft. In the slums, uh, we just started a camp, and one of the, the kids was sent to camp, to church camp, and to learn about Jesus. And one, one side of the family's Christian and sends him with blessing. And then his other side, his grandmother's a witch doctor and sends him with curses to, to disrupt and distract. So there's this idolatry. It's very real. There's tangible things that are made. There's images. There's carved things. And so we see this time and time again. And that's one of the things we as Mohi work hard on is discerning and praying and trying to understand. We go into different communities. What are the challenges? What are the idols? What ways are we going to be able to bring the hope of Christ? But as we go into those places, you can feel just this oppression, this sadness. It distresses our spirits. It says, there's got to be something more. There's got to be a hope and something to trust in that brings life and doesn't feel so heavy. Coming back to the States, and, and as the world has gotten smaller, uh, one of the ways I, I think we, we also struggle with idols in our lives. Um, but one of the ways, uh, I, my wife will tell you, I am competitive. I love competition. And I would watch anything on ESPN all times of the day and maybe even find the obscure channel, and if nothing good's on, then I've been known to watch the spelling bee, uh, even though I'm a terrible speller. But as I, I've, the last couple of years, as I, I've been wrestling with this idea of idols specifically, I've gotten into, I'm such a sports fan, uh, as an American football player and coach and all of that, that I have actually... I hesitate to admit this, become a soccer fan. Um, <laughs> it's been quite a stretch, but when you live in Kenya and that's the only thing that's on live, then I had to figure out how to like soccer. Um, but I've become a fan of the English Premier League, and I watch these games. And one of the things about soccer is they, they turn the volume of the singing up in the background, so it's a lot louder when you listen to it. But I just got to, to thinking, man, we make such idols of our team. We make such idols of the people on those teams. And, and I had to start asking myself, where is my heart in this? I, I, I think it's great to enjoy sports, and I think we can learn tons from sports. But at what point am I crossing over into a place where my hope and my emotions. Am I going to have a good day or a bad day depending on what the team did? Like, we're creating something there that's an act of worship. And it, I think that can be dangerous for us. Because God's asked us to, to devote ourselves to Him, to worship Him and Him alone. And so while I think we can enjoy those things, I think we need to be careful. I'm, I'm speaking mostly to myself. And I've been convicted here and there about where is my heart? Why, why am I pursuing something so intensely? Idols. What is that idol for you? Is it sports? 
Is it what car is in your driveway? Is it what size house or what neighborhood? How much money you earn? How many likes on Instagram, Facebook? What are our idols today in our culture? What are those things the Holy Spirit needs to convict us to say? Your hope should not be in that. Your hope should not be rooted and planted. Your worship is not meant to be given to that, but to God. And we see Paul coming into the city and seeing all these idols and all these different monuments. And it distressed his spirit. It made him saddened. We move forward to verse 22 and 23. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, I don't know how to say that one, said, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. So here we see Paul going to meet these men of Athens. He's brought before them in some way, not necessarily forcefully, but also probably not just that he was going out looking for an argument. I think he was kind of brought because he's been making, uh, disrupting the current state of affairs with the temple and these worshipers, and, and he's getting flogged here and there as he's traveling on these missionary journeys. So the men of Athens, I think he's, he, he can't keep quiet, and so he's kind of brought in uh, to say, what is this you're teaching? What are you creating all this uh, chaos around? What's your teaching? And these are the men that are the philosophers, and they're debating, and they're trying to understand who is Paul and what's he doing? And so they are wrestling, and they want him to speak, and they bring him in to speak. Uh, we have another picture I think of some more kids. These are the Turkana kids, the ones I was talking about in the area with the, the witch doctors. And you can see, um, yeah, just what, what's your philosophy? And one of the ways, when I look at this picture, I see the big bands around the, the girls' necks. And that generally means they're either married or committed to marriage. And most of them are 10 years old. Uh, 10 to 12, they get committed off to be a third or fourth wife. And so as, as we, that was one of the biggest things as we went into Turkana. And I think of this section of scripture where the men are saying, tell us what you believe and why you believe it. We go into a community and we see that and we think, these girls need education. They need to, to grow. They need to be able not to be a third or fourth or fifth wife, uh, but to, to grow up, to mature and not have babies at 13, 14, 15 years old. Let them mature a little bit and live a little bit. Um, and to be a wife of one man, as the Bible puts it. And so, one of the biggest challenges we've had is sitting down with these, this tribe specifically. There's another tribe that does some of the same stuff and saying, hey, why are you practicing this? How... How is that fitting into your culture? What is that doing? Just same way that Paul sat down with these men. Tell me what your thoughts are. How is this advantageous? What, what are you gaining? What if we had a way that would educate your females, give them more skills, and 
empower them and you in some other ways. And that's a tricky conversation. But that's the goal of Missions of Hope is to help open people's eyes to some different ways. And Paul is doing that with these guys in Athens. Hey, here's what your philosophy is. You have all these gods, but you recognize there's probably one that you don't know of or many that you don't know of, so you say the unknown God. But let me tell you, I know that God. I know the one that you need to know. And let me tell you about him. And so Paul goes into this little sermonette, and I just want to read some of that and let his words speak. He says, the God who made the world. So we're talking about the God who made the world. He's the creator and everything in it. He's the creator of everything, the world and everything in it. Being Lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made by man. So he's kind of going at them and saying, who are we to create those idols? We're carving, we're creating, we're building temples to put our creations into to worship them. And Paul's kind of wiping all that away and saying, here's the God of the universe, uncreated, who created you and everything in this world. He doesn't need a temple. (laughs) He does not live in temples nor is he served by human hands. So it's not about how we serve him. It's not about how we create him, how, what we do for him. That, that's not what God's searching out. That's not what God is asking. He doesn't need that from us. As though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind. So God is the one who gives. So idol, idols and idolatry... All those things that we are making, that we are, we are creating, they fall short. That's not what God's asking. We, we can't do it. We can't create it. We can't be a certain way. God is already God, and He is the one who gives. So He's the one who's giving to all mankind life and breath and everything. <laughs> so, Life comes from God, your breath, your breathing. And what else is there? Everything, everything else. So God is the one who gives. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling places. So God's determined the length, where, the dwelling place, All of those things, those are determined by God. (coughs) That they should, that they, that we should, should, it's not an imperative that you will, that you have to. It's a desire of our hearts. It's a desire within us. That they should seek God. We have to want to seek God. We have to look. We have to yearn for. We have to go out. If I want to know the score of the Manchester United game, am I just going to know it? No. I have to go and look for the score or look for a way to watch the game. There's, there's a purpose and an intentionality behind that. So Paul is saying, They should seek God. 
God should be the one that you're pursuing after. And, then Paul says, and perhaps feel their way towards Him. We're searching, we're seeking, and we're feeling, we're finding, feeling our way toward Him. This seems to be of God. This seems to be against God. This seems to be something that He delights in. This is something that He angers or pushes God away, or not pushes God away, pushes, I'm withdrawing from God. God, God's there, God's the same. But these are the things, the choices I make, are they drawing me closer? Are they drawing, am I running away from? Perhaps, perhaps, again, another word that is kind of saying, are you seeking, are you looking, and if you're looking, then perhaps you will feel their way toward him, and find him. I love that it says, and find him. That one's more definitive. In all your search and in all your longing and all your looking, you will find him. If you, that's what you're after. The same way if I'm going after a good paying job or a good paying career or this car or that car, I can work hard. I can pursue it. And more than likely, I can find it. The, the opportunities there, the availabilities there. How hard, how much investment, how much are you going to pour yourself into that goal? Here, Paul, in this scripture, with these, these guys is saying, here's an unknown God, but let me tell you about him. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing that you deserve. There, he was and is and always will be. But you can find Him and you can know Him. He's not unknown. He's knowable. Yet, He is actually not far from each one of us. He's not that far away. He's not that far away. We have a demonstration. His resurrection. In Him, we live and move and have our being. As even some of, some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed His offspring. How many of your children are far away? Some of them, maybe locationally, some of them emotionally. But is that the desire? Is that ever the desire? And that's an imperfect comparison. Here we have God whose grace and love was poured out on the cross in the man of Jesus. He wants you. He loves you. He desires you. He's available. But we have to want. We have to pursue. We have to look for. But he's not that far away. Verse 31 says, Because He has fixed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man, Jesus, whom He has appointed. And of this He has given assurance to all by raising Him from the dead. So we're going to be judged. Paul, Paul wraps this up and says, I know the God. I know the One. You can find Him. You can know Him. 
And at the end of it, you will be judged by righteousness. And, and, and we read, we'll keep reading, but the righteousness of Christ, if we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ, we'll be found innocent, we'll be found as sons and daughters. To know Him, to know Christ, to pursue Him. John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. Jesus said to her, so Jesus is the one speaking, I am the, the res resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He is the one. Are you willing to die? Not physically. Are you willing to surrender? To become obedient to Him? Are you ready? Are you willing to make Him Lord of your life? Surrender is not easy. There's a death process in that. That the surrendering of those goals that you have Maybe you've set this money aside for this addition or this vehicle or whatever it is. And God says, you see somebody and you see a need. And God kind of prompts you. Hey, that money is over here. Maybe it needs to go over here. Are you sure, God? That's pretty That's not what I'm hearing. That's not what I'm thinking. Yeah, I think, I think that's how we're supposed to. If you want to follow me, if you want to die to yourself, that sacrifice is what I'm asking. Are you sure? Yes. Surrender. Obedience. And when we find Jesus, and when we do that, when we surrender to Jesus, we find life. Life, and it's not, it is for eternity, but Jesus talks about His kingdom is here and in the future. There's life here. There's joy. There's peace that surpasses all understanding when we trust and when we surrender, when we're obedient to Him. Acts chapter 4. One that you would have heard earlier this year. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony. So with great power, there's this outflow of the Spirit. I think it's tied to this next statement. To their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them. So as they testified to the resurrection, and as they testified to surrendering and following Jesus, there was great power that came through them, and they received a great grace. One of the, the greatest ways that we see this, um, we, we say yes, is a public proclamation as a, a way of saying, I surrender to you, Jesus, is through baptism. And this last year in Kenya, we have uh, started a church camp. I think I mentioned that. They, um, the kids have come to camp, and we've been sharing with them this good news of the resurrection, the power of has come in the sharing. And people, these kids are getting baptized. People are getting baptized. Because they say, I, I want to be identified with Christ. 
I want to know him in the resurrection. I want to die to self and be raised to life. So we got a few pictures of some different baptisms that we've gotten to be a part of at Missions of Hope. And it really is the fulfillment of um, this gospel. This gospel that we're preaching, it says, I want to die. I want to be obedient to Christ and make him my Lord and Savior. And so we get to see kids and, and adults coming to know Jesus, baptizing them. Uh, much the same way that you have. I heard you got baptized in the, uh, the ocean. So here's our ocean in Kenya. Um, the water is probably 80 degrees all year round. Not too bad. Nice white sandy beaches. Um, but it's just a huge blessing. But we're seeing these kids and these lives of these young adults transformed. Them understanding that God has something more for me than what all the, all the world has to say. Because essentially that's what idolatry is. is and self. What does self want? What does the world want? I'm going to pursue those things over my pursuit of God and my, my chasing after Him. I think we have a couple more pictures of uh, the mentors and the campers as I've been talking about them. Yeah. These campers are coming in. The, most of these kids are from the city. Some of them are from those schools out in the rural areas and they've never been out of their villages and the Muslim kids are coming in and we're trying to teach them about Jesus. We're separating them a little bit from the pressure and the oppression that they are under in their homes so that they, they can hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And then as they hear that and as they digest that, they can take that back into their communities and into their homes. Um, and I want to finish with this verse from Philippians chapter 3 that this might be what our hearts are longing for, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, and that I may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. Church, God loves you so much. He was willing to give it all up. He sent His Son to die on the cross. He's not asking you to do anything he hasn't already done for you. He wants to be known. He wants to be known by you. Man, the creator of the universe wants to know you and walk with you and give you peace and joy and love. Let's pray. Father, thank you. You amaze us. You paid the ultimate price in sending Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. Give us the courage, give us the strength, give us the desire to want you to pursue you, to look for you. And to say no to things that might be good, 
but that are not you. We love you, and we thank you for your spirit. Pour your spirit out on us so that we may love you well. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray all these things. Amen. Thanks, Tim.